This is the Sister Squad with Morta, Nona, and Dekuma. <laughs> Nona. Nona. We'll just stop right now. <laughs> okay, welcome to Sister Squad. This week, uh, our topic is pull the plug already, but we wanted to do a quick uh, recap of what's been going on this week. And we have had riots all over the U.S. Um, we have had George Floyd, who was killed by an officer in Minneapolis, and um, he had been he had been arrested. They were arresting him for counterfeiting for he trying to pass a fake twenty dollar bill. And a police officer knelt on his neck and for eight, nine minutes till he died. So that was, this is our, our you know, quick update on that. Uh, up in Seattle, the liberal city of Seattle <laughs> has been taken over about six city blocks around Capitol Hill, which is a very wealthy area, which a friend of mine teaches in. And the police have left that area. The mayor asked them to not protect the precinct, to let the precinct go and walk away from it. The police chief said that uh, she that was not her decision. She did not make that choice. That's insane. And then, um, so they've left that. It's been taken over by this group, uh, an autonomous zone, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. They go by Chaz. <laughs> Oddly enough, they've already got a name. Uh, on the article, an article on. Um, Line, yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Hold on. A battle. Seattle. Trump threatens to take back city. And the mayor tells president, "Go back to your bunker." Oh. <laughs> yeah, because that's really working out for you, mayor. Yeah. So they <laughs> they have declared their themselves independent of the United States, independent of Seattle. They have militant groups uh, patrolling their little six block radius, I guess, <laughs> and. I think they're crazy. So that's where we're at. I'm stunned. Well, actually, I would be if it wasn't Seattle, you know. Well, I I think just like the um, Minneapolis, they said the cost of their rioting there was about half a billion dollars. Oh, my goodness. They were thinking. And like they just have blocks. I mean, I saw the video where they've just burned down and closed businesses. There's a big business that just said he's not coming back. You know, he never thought he would be leaving. But well, the the, whole- yeah, the downtown is just is just like those cities are. The businesses are just have been gutted and destroyed. Well, the whole defund the police movement. Who do you think's gonna? be the the group that takes the hit for that it's going to be minorities it's going to yep. be the minority communities that need the police the most that's who's going to take the hit so yep. anybody with money or mobility people with already. professional dro- jobs where they can like they'll leave they will get out fast and oh, realtors already I, I was reading about realtors are already there's already an uptick people um first of all they can't sell their property because nobody who wants to buy there right the, yeah they're worried that the property now in the urban areas suburban or not, not urban but the suburban areas you know will um the price on those properties will go up and the people that have money that can afford to move will move and the people don't will be stuck there in crime just after i can't remember which city it was after the one guy was killed and the police pulled back and quit policing and then the it was the minorities that were like 
we're begging police to start policing again. Well, you're you're, you're now going to have, we had white flight in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Now it's just a socioeconomic. Now it's rich flight. People who have money will get the H-E double hockey sticks out of Dodge and move somewhere. That's why, like, um, Utah, Nevada, Idaho are full of people from Washington, Oregon, California. Because the social policies, the government there is ridiculous. The urban areas in California, the homeless in the streets, people defecating all over the place. You can't walk in San Diego without it smelling like piss and whatever. (laughs) And poop. Sewer. (laughs) And sewer. Like, who wants to live like that? Garbage. That's who. So that's our update. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when we talked last week and we were talking about the rallies and, and Black Lives Matter, at the point that we talked about last week when we were talking about George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter of Utah had not organized a protest. So the peaceful protest in Ogden, as well as the protest that turned violent in Salt Lake, either of those were organized by Black gotcha. Lives Matter. Because gotcha. I listened to... Um, Alex, I can't remember what her last name is, who's the president or whatever of the Black Lives Matter. Listen to her. She goes on Rod Arquette quite a bit. And she and she said, We haven't had uh we haven't had a, a organized rally yet. And and also she had also said that if someone was violent, she'd be the first one to turn him in. And when she talked to Rod Arquette on the show, she's like, Well, I wouldn't turn him in because she got a lot of backlash from the Black Lives Matter not black by the way <laughs> so yeah anyway, so she said i wouldn't i wouldn't turn him in but we don't you know we don't support that right so. anyway so i think they were planning a protest i don't know i haven't heard anymore but um yeah, there's lots of crazy stuff going on you know uh an army unit was issued bayonets to prep for the dc protest um the headlines are that I'm reading are America is, is America refighting the Civil War. Um, uh, Navy no. ordered <laughs> Confederate flag banned. You, would, um, you rep- would have to have some kind of ideal that you're standing up for, and this is just organized chaos. Right. Their, their ideal and their motto is loot target. <laughs> Get those Nikes. Remember those Nikes? Those lamps? Karen's had her eye on those lamps. It's Day. <laughs> I'm no kidding. Let's see. Black leaders call for the removal of the Washington Monument and Jefferson Monument. Uh, Republican senators defy president to strip generals' names from bases. What's the Close name of the, the new press secretary? Pardon? What's the name of the new press secretary? Oh. That cute blonde. Kaylee McEnany. McEnany. Yeah, something like that. She asked some of the reporters. Where there, she was like, exactly how much of history do we need to erase to make people happy? Like, the Washington Monument and the... It, it makes me sick, because I'm a history teacher, history buff, and you start erasing history, and that's how people gain control and take power over the underserved parts of society. Right. Read 1984, if you haven't. Just give it a little look-see. It's not that difficult of a read. Don't erase history. Well, because even the the sketchy parts of history, you study them because you learn from them, you know. But if you if you erase it, there's nothing to learn from. Mm-mm. 
And it is. It's uh, just a way to take control. Austin removes beheaded Columbus from the park. And with KKK Valley in Nevada. Destruction. It's disgusting. Seattle, Seattle, Trump threatens to take back the city. Oh, yeah, they're not too fond of that. Uh, I already told you that. And then the mayor tells him to go back to his bunker. Commercialization uh, of Ger- George Floyd. Firms look to capitalize on the movement. Update. Elderly man shoved at the Buffalo protest has a brain injury. Oh, that's too bad. That is too bad. More blood leaking out of his ear, I think. So that's, that's not a horrible. surprise. Yeah, I really just like, just like the coronavirus broke me of watching the news because I could not see one more politician take something medical and try and twist it for their, you know. (laughs) Sorry. What are you giggling about, you psychopath? I can only think of Nancy Pelosi. Oh, Nancy Pelosi. Nona, did you see her kneeling in her... Her African kente cloth? No. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Let's talk about major cultural appropriation. All the Democrats go out and wear the kente cloth. They They were in like some big lobby. In the rotunda in the Capitol building, I think. And then they took a knee. And then the best part is if you, like, they all took a knee and like had observed a moment of silence for, for black Americans. And then... The part that I liked was I saw a video that somebody posted that the extended version that Nancy Pelosi couldn't stand up, and I'm going to go to hell for laughing. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's just so staged. It's phony. There is nothing that I felt like that was real about it. And I was honestly waiting for the Black Panther to come in through the back. <laughs> Did you see that Nancy Pelosi, like, she, she was given a conference or something. She had a 10-second delay where she just didn't say anything. She was kind of goo goo gaga. She's 80 years old, and she's an alcoholic to boot. You know, her and her $100,000 alcohol bill for a year. Um, so, you know, I mean, I just got to say, she probably maybe doesn't even know what's going on. You know? And the next thing that can happen is when she gets up from her, 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 you know, her African-American clothing, and she can get Elizabeth Warren to come in in her Indian headdress or Native American headdress, and, you know. Then, oh, my you know, God, is there is there, is there any other minority group that we could have, you know, stand on them, stand on the backs of their culture and take over, you know, oh my them? gosh. Well, there was you know? a smackdown to the Democrats from a woman from Ghana. And she's like, um, this is a kente cloth and it actually means something to us. Like we are not children. She was super offended and I thought, oh, this is not going to look good for the Democrats. Like, I'm trying not to get oh. too political here, but, you know, there's some funny stuff that goes around. Like, <laughs> you got to you know, call the say, crap when you see it. I, I just... Democrats. They're Democrats. It's not going to make the news. They'll be here and gone. It's, it's you know, it's not good. You don't need to worry. Don't worry for him. It's, it's going to be fine. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, All right. We're moving on. We're moving on. Let's Nona. go into today's podcast which is pull the plug already pull the plug already so Morta, why don't you why don't you take it away that? take it away earn all right so um as many of you know i work in a hospital i work as a hospitalist and so i admit patients of all ages and of course most of my patients are 
elderly. Like I have patients as young as just a few days old, up to 99 years old, you know, 100 years old. So I've, because I take care of um, all of these people, I, <clears throat> you know, I'm taking care of people at the end of their life. And sometimes it feels like I'm not doing them any favors, you know, that I'm doing my very best to keep them alive when maybe um, it, depending on who you are or what your view is, uh, maybe it would be better if we didn't do quite so much. And so I'm going to ask you, Nona and Dekuma, what would you say is a good death? Like, how do you want to go? You know, assuming you live to be old. I'll go last. <laughs> you go last? Uh, well, I just would prefer to, one, die in my sleep, or two, in a car wreck and die instantly. <laughs> because I just want to go out with all my faculties. I don't yeah. want to go sick and and just die a little bit at a time. I would like to die all at once. Okay. Nona, how about you? Well, you know, I have MS, so I take my MS medication. And over the COVID stuff, it's like, okay, that's killing my immune system. I'm way lower than I should be, my white blood cell count. So it's like, okay, do I keep taking that medicine so I don't end up in a wheelchair and wetting my pants and falling all over myself so I can't walk? I'm halfway there anyway. But, or do I quit taking it so I have a better chance if I get the COVID, you know? Right. So it's, do I want to walk or do I want to breathe? And, and so, and I, what's the answer? Tell us, tell us, Nona. I no, I'm not really sure, but my granddaughters, I have them on the messenger app, like the kid messenger, and so they message me all the time. And they have like, would you rather, like my granddaughter send me a thing? Would you rather be cold all the time or hot all the time, ever? And I said, I'd rather be dead. You know, <laughs> there are worse things than living. I have to say being hot all the time or cold all the time and being uncomfortable, I would rather be dead. So that goes to say that you know, I have a pretty low, um, threshold. low threshold for living in, in discomfort or without all my migs. So uh, I, my, I've talked with my husband, with my kids, and we've talked about it seriously. And, you know, I've told him, if I get... A hangnail and it starts going down into the quick the plug no i just don't want to live like that so good answer good answer nona so as i you know kind of embarked on taking care of um el the elderly which you know i worked with pediatrics forever so i wasn't sure that i was gonna like working with the elderly as much as i do and because i always thought oh i love kids so much you know i i don't know that i'm gonna be as fulfilled, you know, in my job and in my job now, I admit pediatrics and elderly, you know, everybody, but I just discovered that I really just like taking care of people. You know, I just love them. So, so, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, you go into, into every situation and you carry with you your own biases. I feel the same. Like I don't want to like Dekuma, I don't want to live, you know, if I can't take care of myself or, you know, if I got hit on the head with a anvil that fell out of the sky, like in the cartoons, I don't want to live in a persistent vegetative state, that sort of thing. So I'm just going to, um, 
touch on. So I've read a couple of books. So I read Atul Gawande's uh, Being Mortal. And I also read The Good Death by Ann Newman. Um, there's another book that I'm reading about. It's called Farewell. And it's written by a doctor. And I forget. I'll have Nona or I mean Dekuma put the maybe if can you add notes to the podcast uh-huh, like yeah. so that I'll put the books in there. But, um, you know, a hundred years ago. You didn't send someone, first of all, we didn't live as long as we do now, and you didn't send your grandma or grandpa off to the hospital to die. You just took care of them. Maybe the doctor would come over and, and help you out and then and give the medicine that was available, and then grandma or grandpa would die in the family home while the family was taking care of them. And, you know, as the advent of hospitals um, came about and got more and more popular, particularly I would say in the 50s, because our mother was born in 42, and she was born in a home, like, she was born at the doctor's house, and I think her older sister, who was born in 40, was maybe born in her own home, I'm not sure, do you know where Aunt Sandra, but I know that, I know that mom was born down at the doctor's house, Um, but, you know, then hospitals got popular in the 50s and 60s, and then you know, um, especially with antibiotics and then insulin and, and heart medication and heart surgeries, people are living longer and longer. And, and that's great. You know, we all want to live, but then what happens is then there's more time that you're frail. And so a couple of the patients, there's two patients that are pretty much, I've made them up. They're similar to a few patients that I've had, but I have a lot of patients that, kind of look like this. So, well, I don't remember their names anyway, and I've actually changed the details so that it you can't identify them. So it's kind of more amalgamation of several patients. But let's say that we have 85-year-old Eloise. That's my favorite old lady name right now. So we have 75 or 85-year-old Eloise, and she comes to me to be admitted because she has a fever and when we admit her and we get her from the emergency department, we find out that she's um, Nona will know this word, neutropenic. That means you've got low white blood cells and low baby white blood cells. She's anemic. And I found out that Eloise has end-stage dementia of some sort. I don't know which kind. And she also has a blood cancer, um, like either multiple myeloma or, you know, myelodysplastic disorder or something like that that's causing this anemia and she also gets chemotherapy. So when I talk to her and ask her, you know, one of the things that we ask people to see where they are neurologically is, do you know who you are, meaning your name, your birthday? Do you know where you are, meaning the city, the situation? Like, do you know you're in the hospital? Do you know you're in Salt Lake City or Utah or whatever? And so who, where, and when? Do you know when you are? Like, what year is it? What date is it? And so somebody with dementia, a lot of times we don't even ask the when. We ask, do you know where you are? And if they can say a hospital, that's maybe a good answer, right? Like they don't know when. They A lot of times they'd say 1970, 1980, or what have you. So this woman could only say, her name was Ellie, didn't know what her last name was, didn't know, and that's really not her real name, and, and some of these details are different, um, knows her name, doesn't know my name from day to day, 
doesn't know where she is, and she doesn't even answer. She can't even answer the question. So she comes in. She has anemia or whatever. Her daughter, Susie, you know Susie's my very favorite name. So her daughter, Susie, comes in. So this woman has end-stage dementia, doesn't know who she is, and she has anemia, and then I find out that it's time for her to have her next chemo treatment for this cancer that she has. But let's save her. Yeah, so this... Let's not have her expire from cancer. Yeah, so it it was really um, a very similar situation to this. This happened, and um, I was a little interested in putting someone through chemo who doesn't even, like, doesn't even know when she is. Where she is, situation. I don't know why you would do that. And I, I don't just know what I don't know what the motivation is. I don't know what the end goal is. And so, Hopefully, I you know, think it's a family member can't let him go. Right, right. I really think, and you know, when it comes to family, like I throw no shade to family from various different belief backgrounds, or like no shade. I would not want that for myself or my family. I do question. Um, the medical community and the ethics of that continued treatment. Do you know what I mean? Like, to what end? Like, this is like myelodysplastic disorder or, you know, myelodysplasias or whatever. These aren't a curable cancer. Like, these are a cancer, generally so you're, speaking. You're just extending your You're life. extending life. Like, you're going to die. And good life. You're extending a life where you don't know who you are. You need to be taken care of. Yeah. I want out. Like, I'm opting out. Yeah. If there's something that can take me, let it take me. I want to know who I am. And if I don't know who I am and COVID comes along, go ahead and walk me down the street. <laughs> Without my mask on. Cough on my face. And yeah. Take me to the nursing home. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that was one that I really, because there's, there was a very similar situation to that that I thought, huh, I wonder how this is going to go down. You know, and so I just really thought, I don't know, like just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. And then from the family's perspective, I really feel like sometimes that the family's waiting for a doctor to say, hey, you really need to stop like that. This is not the family's fault necessarily. I, I see that. I think that's really the cause because I watched I watched my father-in-law go through this and everyone knew that he was seriously ill he'd had a stroke and the doctor came in and basically said you know what he's this is fatal yeah like this he's not gonna come back but no one heard him say that what everybody yeah. heard something else and I am looking at him and I'm looking at my family and realizing that they're not hearing what he's saying. Yeah. And so I reiterated. I said, so what you mean is he's, he's never going to be the same. He, he, his, his brain function is never going to be the same. And the doctor says, yes, that is correct. And my mother-in-law sat there and she goes, well, he would not want to live this way in right. a vegetative state. But because of their medical jargon medical jargon yeah the normal farmer or 
yes. person that walks in up at your rural hospital. Yep. Or even, I not even farmer, just right, the right. person that comes in off the street. They start throwing that jargon around because it's something that they're used to. And they're just looking at them like, so what does that mean? Well, you need to get to the brass tacks and say, you know what? You're going to die. He's going to die. Molly, you in trouble, girl. <laughs> <laughs> this shit, man. You can't just say it like that. Say it. Okay, say it your own way. Molly, you in trouble, girl. That's right. That yeah. is right. But I think that's it. I, I'm just watching it, and I, and I think... You're saying it, and then, of course, the inability of a family to say, to hear it. Yes. Even if you do say it plainly. It's funny because I, I, you know, I think the younger you are, the more judgmental you are. You think you're so smart, you know. And I I feel like I was probably that way, even though I wasn't in a position to be judgmental of anyone. I was working with pediatrics. And so, you know, of course, with children, you're going to do every single thing possible sometimes to even extend their life because, you know, they haven't even had a little life yet. So if they're terminal, you want to do what you can until treatment becomes painful, you know, and then if they're terminal, then of course, palliative care or whatever. And, and, you know, in children, you can be on hospice and get palliative care while you're still seeking a cure. Now with Medicare, you can't do that. If you're going to, Medicare's, you know, the government, right? So if you're going to seek palliative care, meaning, and palliative care means that the care is offered to provide comfort from symptoms, but we know that we might not be curing you, you can't also be getting, seeking a cure. So Medicare won't pay for hospice care and chemo. And the cure. And so that puts people, so when when you're just put up against a wall, it kind of forces people to be ready to die to seek hospice. Because there's been studies that people who have um, sought out hospice sometimes live longer than if you keep trying to cure them when mm-hmm. we, you know that they're terminal. You know, I'm not talking about somebody who has stage two breast cancer who you know that you can cure them, like 90% chance or whatever, 80, whatever it is nowadays. I don't do breast cancer treatment, but... But, you know, that has really good, good options. You know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody who's 90 years old, who has one cancer versus another. You know, if it was my mother or father or even my siblings or someone I knew and they asked my opinion, I would be like, sign up for hospice care. My favorite, my favorite article. Well, I guess it was a video. It was like a 60 minutes was they were talking about this. And in the Netherlands, it was a. Danish country, whatever it was, but the one gal, gal, she was older, she had terminal cancer, and they had just sent her home with a morphine pump. She was out working in her garden, and they're interviewing her, and she was probably in her 80s, and she was kind of toddling around in her garden, and then the little note underneath was that she passed away a week or two later. Yeah, so, so she lived. She lived until she died. Lived, like living, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to lay in a bed for months and months and months, extend my life so that I can lay on a pump. No, that's just disgusting. No, yeah. no, thank you. So, <laughs> <laughs> says Nona from her bed, maybe? Where are you, Nona? Oh, uh, yeah. I've been here for months. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Owen. Nona, Nona podcasts remotely so we don't kill her with her. But you are living to life to the fullest, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so now I have another case study for you. And this one, again, is really, I've made this one up because this one is really an uh, amalgamation of, of a few patients. So we have Fred, he's 94, let's make him 92, 92-year-old Fred, who's a farmer. And he was out, you know, he doesn't farm the whole farm anymore. His sons and grandsons do that. But he does take care of the tractor here and there and, um, you know, moves fences and stuff. And let's say that Fred got a wound. He doesn't take any medicines. Sharp as a tack. Could, you know, recite the Gettysburg Address. You know, he's just really smart. In his 90s, married to a much younger woman. She's 85. <laughs> Spring chickens. Yeah. And so Fred gets a, a um, out on the farm, he gets maybe a puncture wound or something in his foot where he has a non-healing wound just because he's old, you know, and circulation's not as good. So he takes care of it for a month or two and he thinks it's fine, puts a Band-Aid on it. And then um, maybe it breaks open and there's um, icky drainage, you know, there's pus or something. And he still thinks it's fine, but after a couple of days... He gets a fever and he's kind of confused. And so his wife strong arms him into coming to the hospital because, you know, he doesn't believe in going to the hospital. But now he's really in kind of in bad shape. So we bring him in, we admit him, we look him over and he really is sick, but he's so healthy, you know, even though he's in his 90s, that he's pretty strong. You know, he's not on blood pressure medicines or whatever. We keep doing the workup and then the blood cultures come back and find out that he's growing bacteria in his blood. And bacteria in your bloodstream is not good. And it's really not good if it's strep or staph. And this was a staph. So he's growing a, a staphylococcus species in his blood, which if you're growing staphylococcus in your bloodstream, you can get um, bacteria vegetations on your heart valves. And so then, so now we have Fred, who's 94, who is going to need to be on... Uh, really strong antibiotics for at least minimum four weeks. So we maybe we'll call a surgeon to come and look at his foot, do an MRI, and now we do an MRI and find out that there's infection in the bone. And now a 94-year-old is going to need surgery to debride the bone. And now we're going to need an echocardiogram, which is like an ultrasound of your heart. And... And then even if the ultrasound of your heart to see if there's that bacteria grown on your heart valves comes back normal, they're going to have to do a more invasive um, ultrasound of your heart with a transesophageal echocardiogram. That means they put like the wand down your throat while you're sleeping to look at your heart. And so what that means for Fred is if Fred chooses to treat, which people won't even treat, like you would need surgery on your foot. Uh, anesthesia to put you under for a TEE. And then the question is, is what happens if you find out, let's say that we do all this, like that we find an orthopedic surgeon to debride Fred's foot, send him to like the hyperbaric chamber or whatever. We put him on the high strength antibiotics to kill the bacteria in his blood. Maybe there is, what if we do the echocardiogram and there is stuff growing on his heart? Do you know what the treatment for that is? Heart valve replacement. So at some point, you know, where? Pardon me? Is there a plug? Is there a plug anywhere? <laughs> right. Right. And so these are the questions like it's not what can you do? 
But what should you do? I mean, we can give Fred antibiotics long term, even, and just send him home. And I think you should look around for a plug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that at some but point, can you send Fred home also with morphine. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm always going to vote for the Fred morphine wants. route. I think the first thing we should do is find out what Fred wants. Yeah. And well, for how about Fred is now he's so sick that he's a little confused. He was sharp as a tack like a week and a half ago, but now he's just declining quickly. If, if when Fred comes in, this, I mean, if he, if he had all his migs when he came in. He was confused when he came in. Okay, well, then we have to find out from Fred's family what Fred would want. Well, yeah. most of the time in these, the, the good thing I've discovered about working with people in a rural setting is that farmers are no BS type of people. Mm-hmm. Like, they treat and they treat until, like, well, that's not going to work. It's like that they're out on the farm and then they want to go home and be with their family and... Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just shooting worse. Yep, yep. They're like, well, I guess I'll go home now. You know, like, yeah, we we moved from rural to more suburban, and we really don't tell people what we did with animals out there. <laughs> like in your in your new setting, you didn't kill a dog when it got old. In this yeah. setting, you take it to the vet. Yeah, and you let the vet. Euthanize, euthanize it. it and and you have your little setting there and everyone is sad and they cry but out on the farm the farm you took a 22 and yeah you took care of business took care of business and you put yeah. it out of its misery so old yeller. it's a tearjerker old yeller okay he got the phobia and it was over for him okay no. all right Guess what? I had never seen Old Yeller. I am the youngest. I don't know how you haven't seen it. I had not seen it. I have, what is Disney Plus? Disney Plus. Yeah. And so. Did you he, watch it and cry? Dekuma's husband was scarred, wasn't yes, he? he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Hydrophobia. So, so I watched Old Yeller by myself. I don't know if I was in my office or no. I think I was just at my house and I'm watching it. And I, well, first of all, I knew what was going to happen because, you know, your my brother-in-law was scarred for life. We've talked about it for years. Yes. And so I did, I watched it and I was like, oh, that was rough. Poor Come Old Yeller. Poor Yeller. Come back, Yeller. There was no coming back. <laughs> And so we go back to the 92-year-old. So here we are. So so there ain't no coming back. Yeah, He's that's not coming back. Right. This because, is it. Well, and I think that it's really our society, like, has this hard time accepting that there is an end, finally. Like, you are going to die. I am going to die. We are all going to die. What day is that going to be? Are we going to drag it out till we're, like, you know in a nursing home, wearing diapers, don't know who we are. Oh my goodness, no. Dekuma's kids have been working in an, is it a nursing home or uh-huh. is it an assisted living nursing home? It's a nursing home. And, and I, it's, it's some of it state run, so it, they have patients that were either homeless or on drugs, mm-hmm. some of them. So yep, not yep. all of them, but yeah. some. Yep. And they have just declined during COVID and I 
I sad. have listened to their stories about their lives, and it is sad. And they have swore that none of their grandparents or parents will ever hit a nursing home after seeing that. I worked in a nursing home when I was 19 years old, and that was, what, 20 lots of years ago. Yes. And it was really very, very difficult, like really difficult. So my day to die is before I step in there. Okay, so this is a great segue to our next subject on what day is it to die. What do you think about euthanasia, Nona? Do you think should it doctor-assisted suicide or medical euthanasia should be legal, like it is in many oh. states in the United States? No, but I'll, I'll tell you something. Um, no, I don't think so. But I also think, going back to keeping people alive, when people are dying, quit eating. No, right. they, start, they start to not eat and... I don't need to tell you that, um, Morta. You know, people like, oh, trying to feed them. And, and if they can't eat, well, then let's put them on an IV to give them nourishment. Yep. Yep. That if, I do hear that. And I, the people, the family members, because this is not the patient that's asking for this. This is loving family members who are horrified to realize that the end is near. And, and I will not be surprised that when it comes our turn to let our parents go, if we also have that moment, it won't be long because there's enough of us that will smack the other ones down, but that moment of just absolute denial, like, and it only has to be a moment because I've seen it on, I've taken care of some of the best people that God put on this earth. I'm not kidding. And with wonderful families and you can just see it on their faces and they just sit there for a minute and it's like they're. You know, like when you're in checkmate and you're really trying to figure out a new move, it's like they they go through that in their head and then they're like, no, that's not what my dad would want or no, that's not what my mom would want. We'll just go home on hospice or we'll, we can't do hospice at home for this reason or that reason, you know, so we'll have to arrange hospice at an assisted living or something of that nature. But it is very interesting to me that, that it's, when it's your turn to let go of your parent, it just shiz gets real, real quick. I think, I think, you know, you've got, you've got them being peacemakers and 70 year old, you know, 70, 75, 76 year old people maybe are in not that good of health. Then they put a pacemaker in, which happened to a family member that I know. They're declining, but their heart just keeps going. It's like the Energizer Bunny, you know, takes yeah. a lick and keeps on ticking. But everything else is falling apart, you know. Every it's like the engine's great, it's going, but all the parts are falling off the car, you know. Yeah, and yeah. That's you know we it goes to you know you don't want to let people die. Yeah. And so well, and I, I think that's because you love them, you know, and that's what that's what I discovered is like, you know, I had such strong opinions like, oh, my goodness gracious, let them die already, you know, until I started working with, you know, when I was up close and personal and I can see and, and I don't agree with it. I'm not saying that I agree with it, but I really do see the place of love that some of these people are coming from, like that they just love their their spouse or their parents so much they don't want to let them go so youth in uh, euthanasia you say yay or nay um i say nay but i when you're talking about i'm hold on i'm going to take us off track for a second 
because I had a fa- a friend that was like 35 that died that she was on um you know she was on life support she'd had a surgery and then got an infection and right. so she had three little kids at home and you know they were just she got septic and so you know they I think she lived for like a couple of weeks she never regained consciousness after her surgery and finally in the end you know withdrawn life support and and let her go and I had always joked about you know pull the plug yeah get a hangnail or whatever but when it came down to that when that finally happened that was a close close family friend of ours my husband finally had like a really serious conversation do you think they waited too long he wanted to find out exactly what I thought um, right. did they wait too long what should have happened I said you know, she had three little kids. You go till the very last right. possible, you know, good moment for someone that's young, a yep. young mom, you know, you do everything. You know, if I'm an old person yep. with MS and I can't walk and, you know, losing my migs, uh, yeah, it start changes. looking around a little sooner for that plug. We're not going to be cutting <laughs> off any body parts or, you know, if no, I'm no. losing my sight. Because that's when I'm thinking about like stopping feeding. Um, uh, like he, they had a family member that you know had ostracized. She was blind. She had from diabetes. She'd lost a leg, the and Betis. she was you know, in a home. And the they Betis finally the beatus got her. <laughs> well, they. I think they. I think, and and I'm not sure. You know, when you start to get like, I know, Morta. You know, when you've got cocktail of different things killing you mm-hmm. they finally I think, quit giving her diet her diabetes medication and you know oh my gosh i thought it. you were gonna say they stopped giving her diet coke but it was just the <laughs> diabetes medication <laughs> no <laughs> i think that and then it I was think there quit, and I think, <laughs> that's where we got to you have to stop the diet coke <laughs> yeah i think she wasn't conscious and then they and they quit giving her maybe fluids too you know what i mean yeah so I mean, if you're if you're not conscious and you can't eat and there's not you know you're not going to have a good recovery, then yeah, wait for me to wake up and ask for a diet coke. But you know, since <laughs> I'm really actively dying, just leave me alone. So know? I've decided to like because I I did have a conversation, a hospice conversation in the last couple of weeks. I can't even remember with who. Like, but I was like, you know, it just occurs to me that I haven't spelled this out in my living will that if. Please don't put in a feeding tube. But you know, like when you're in hospice and you've like, no, they don't want to eat or drink. So you like swab their mouth with water. You need a cup of icy, crisp Diet Coke. Swab my mouth. Swab my mouth with that intermittently with the water. Uh, Water, yes or no. I don't, I don't really care. If it'll help you get the Diet Coke. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. Euthanasia, I'm definitely a no on. Yeah. But you get to choose when you go as far as like, don't force feed me. Don't do measures to keep a shell here. I, right. When I'm done, I believe that there's people on the other side waiting for me. And I've got a party going on over there, too. Yeah. So it's like move, so just moving the party I'm to a different location. To right? a different room. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And some people aren't. I think that today people have a really hard time facing death. But it is. And we've always had a hard time facing death. But... We don't see death like they used to see death. Yeah, no, we've divorced ourselves from it. And so, and people live so long. Like, I had, a, we had a friend of, um, 
our family who their daughter died of a brain tumor and she died when she was uh, I don't know 18 17 18 and she'd had the brain tumor since she was 10 on and off they'd they it was really um, amenable to surgery and radiation or whatnot and so so they they would treat it and then it would go away for a year year and a half or whatever come back and they would do surgery and treat it and and it would go away and and as it turned out their pediatrician had also lost her husband to a brain tumor and the pediatrician told the mom she's like you know after not like the first time she had a brain tumor but like you know second or third and said you know people just don't live with brain tumors it's like that you cut the tomato off the tomato vine but another tomato is going to grow and so it's so funny and it's i don't mean funny hilarious but funny interesting that when it was finally when the cancer came back i believe the fourth time i talked to her mom when it was clear that this girl was going to die and her mom said you know i knew that she was going to die from from brain cancer she goes i've known that for years she goes i just really didn't think that this was going to be the time you know i thought that i thought that we were going to do the whole thing again and and we just get another couple years. And I really think that that's kind of how all we, all of us are. That especially, not if you have a lingering illness, but if all of a sudden you get, you go from being okay to being like deathly ill overnight. Well, my father-in-law. Like your father-in-law that you're like, what? And, and at the time it was shocking and it was terrible. And tragic. And tragic. And, but looking back now, you know, we all look back and think, oh, thank heaven that he didn't get sick over time and he didn't lose his function, his brain activity, yeah. his or ability to walk. walk or yeah, work he would have or been. Talk or his. Yeah, no. He would have been horrified I think at he that. Kind of, he kind of went out on his own terms in the end. It was like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to go out in one big show. And he did. Yeah. So, you know, um, Nona, you talked about not eating or drinking anymore. So, in the book. Um, the Good Death by Anne somebody or other, Ann Newman. She talked about that. So I've been listening to these books on Audible, you know, while I walk and do my um, uh, my morning walk with the birds or whatever. And, and um, this guy talks about his parents who were in their 80s, late 80s, early 90s. And they had both, like, been diagnosed with, they were just frail. You know, they were getting to where they couldn't take care of themselves. He, he moved them into an assisted living. And they really wanted death to come on their terms. And they were getting near the end of their life. And they may have been almost 90. I can't remember. But they decided to fast, like just stop eating. And they would drink water. But they figured that they would go out. Well, and this was not in Utah. I don't remember where it was. I think it was on the East Coast somewhere. So they decided this is what they were going to do. They are going to keep drinking water, you know, so that they, but they weren't going to eat anymore. And the assisted living got wind of it and evicted them. Told them that they were not allowed to do that at their assisted living. Oh, wow. Wow. And I'm like, oh. And so they did talk about it in this book, The Can Good. Can I just call it anorexia? Yeah. Could I could I just say that and then I'd stay in my assisted living? Yeah, I and... really I'm I am eating. I had a I looked at a cracker today and I had a tic tac. Get off my back. It is interesting the things we decide to demonize. Yeah. Like that that for them was something that they decided to demonize, but 
other things that they wouldn't that they would treat and well right so yeah, and know. and then that brings up the case like um like Terry Shivo and you remember her she was the one who had collapsed in her kitchen mm-hmm. with either a stroke or something I don't remember why and they she was down for more than 7 minutes probably 15 and she was young and healthy, like 26 years old. So her husband finds her. They do CPR. They get her to the hospital. And she stays in a persistent vegetative state for years. Her parents were Catholic because this was in the book, too, The Good Death. Because I knew all about Terry Schiavo. I've been in healthcare since 1993. So I followed that. And so the reason, not just the reason, but her parents' belief in keeping her alive was grounded in their Catholicism. Like that that even removing you from food yeah, I is that. killing you. And so her husband stayed married to her and then went to court. He was, he long, you know, he got a live-in girlfriend, you know, like he'd moved his life on. But he would not divorce her because he knew that she did not want to live like that. She had left her Catholicism. You know, she was not an active Catholic. And he fought to have her tube, her feeding tube removed. And it was, I think, 15 years or at least 10 to get. And he went one in the end, but I think it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Like it went up. If it didn't go to the Supreme Court in the U.S., it went to his state's Supreme Court to have the right to remove a feeding tube was not, you know, killing someone. And so she passed away 10 days after her feeding tube was removed. An autopsy showed that her brain was so damaged and it had atrophied so much mm-hmm. that she was, mm-hmm. she was to the point where she was just barely brainstem type of thing. But, you know, her family has carried on a Terry Shivo type of, um, they've got a foundation and really feel like that she was murdered, you know. And so then... There's just different ethics that come into play that I think um, are hard for us to understand, you know, and also then as a medical professional that, you know, I need to be aware of as far as allowing, which I do, you know, I give people the choices. This is what we can do. We can do it this way, you know, and, and everything, like air quotes, do everything, and this is what it would look like, or we can you know, allow a more natural death um, and, you know, uh, pursue palliative care. So, Well, I, here's what I think. In the olden days, someone that wouldn't eat would have just died. Right. Some brain dead can't eat. And you're right. not really going to be able to feed them, you know, enough calories even. Because the only thing you would, would have been able to feed them would be like a broth, maybe. Mm-hmm. down their throat but even then you probably would have drowned them yeah they would aspirate it get a pneumonia and die yeah so that really you know if you're not actively eating you are really in the process of death right well i mean if, if you can't eat and that's even like i like i tell my husband yeah if i if i get paralyzed i mean this may be saying that people that aren't paralyzed that are paralyzed from the neck down don't have a life and meaning for me, if I'm in an accident and, you know, it, with an injury that bad, it's touch and go, pull the plug. No, yeah. I don't. I, I, 
I'm not afraid to die. And to me, I wouldn't want to live like that. I'm too lazy, you know? (laughs) Just call it what it is, you know? Well, and I do think that's an individual choice. That doesn't, like, because you say that about yourself, you're not saying that someone else shouldn't live. No. Well, and that's why I want to clarify that I think, like, I think there are people who are paralyzed from the next down, neck down that have probably do amazing things and have life and are happy to live. And no, that wouldn't be me. We watched that show. Did you guys watch the show? Got Kevin Hart in it. The oh, Upside. Yeah. yeah, it's called The Upside. Upside. I loved that show. You know, I did too. I, it's done a true story and... No, and I loved that, and I thought it was great, and I was glad in the half. I, I really went on those based on the true story shows. I would really like to know the real story. You know, it's um, yeah, that was really inspiring. I like that. And, I, I and did the real too. Story was based on someone in France, you know, and so would like to know what the real story is, and I'm glad for people to find happiness. But the reality is, without modern medicine, you know. Mm-hmm. It, all those people would die. Yeah. Well, and I think it's great that we can keep them alive if they want to stay alive. But if, again, if you want to um, pull the plug, then you go right ahead. So, I don't think that's euthanasia. No, no. So, yeah, interesting. Not eat. It's like, yeah, putting a feeding tube in, which I know that they've done to people. You know, they do it to people that are anorexics that they put a feeding tube in. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want you all to know right now that Chad would like to keep me alive forever. <laughs> so I'm going to need someone else to step in and pull the plug. <laughs> I'll do it. My husband, you know, like, yeah. My yeah, husband like, might put a pillow over my head. So would you just <laughs> <laughs> make sure that you're, make sure that you're gone first. Yeah. Don't, don't allow him to hold the pillow tightly over my head. That's not true. I'm teasing. <laughs> if, yeah. The good thing is he doesn't even listen to our podcast. So he'll never know that I'm throwing him under the bus. <laughs> so good. Oh my goodness. All right. Anything you want to add? I, I just talking about euthanasia. I think that's a whole nother podcast story topic. But you know, once you start that slippery slope, which they have started over in I can't remember one of those European countries. It's the Netherlands. I've got all that stuff, but we just don't have time to get to it. Yeah. But yep, they did when, euthanize a, a girl who was seventeen. chose chose euthanasia for depression. And they allowed yeah. her to go through with it. She was 17 years old. And in the Netherlands, they allow um, children as young as 12, 12 years old, to choose euthanasia with their parents' consent. 16, 17-year-olds don't need parent parental consent. And an 18 there is also an adult. And that is the same place that the woman who was had dementia had told her parent, her family, like, hey, when it's... When it's my time, I really want to do the doctor-assisted suicide or euthanasia, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so, but she wasn't ready yet. So the doctor decided it was her time because she'd had a little bit of a decline. She, They gave her sleeping pills. They smashed them up and put them in her drink or whatever. She woke up while they were trying to euthanize her. 
and protested and the doctor had her family hold her down while the doctor was a female, I guess, while she injected the woman and killed her. People She's all protesting. Yeah, like, hey, please don't kill me. And then she did it anyway. People all over the world were up in arms and pissed, and I was one of them. And they, there was some sort of, you know, charges against the doctor, and she got off. No no punishment for that at all, which I think is disgusting. That's just crazy. They were also up in arms, though, over the teenage girl. The people in that country were mad. Yeah. That's, they voted for that, but that's not what they had in mind. Yeah. She was depressed. So her story was that she had been raped several times as a child and she, that her family didn't know about, not by people at her house, like by strangers. And well, one was like at a party, like a high school party or whatever. And then, um, so she had PTSD and depression and so she decided that she wanted to die. And I think that that is criminal that they allowed that. It's horrible. Like, get her yeah. treatment. Maybe some therapy, huh? Yeah. Oh. Anyway, you're right. That's a whole other ball of wax. So next week, we will have a, a lighter topic. We've had two serious topics in a row. So next week, we'll have a lighter topic. And oh shite! <laughs> now we have coke everywhere. Ah! Sorry, Nona. We have to get the coke off the couch. Oh, and it's up my butt. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I will definitely edit that out. <laughs> Dang it! Why? <laughs> As you can see, we had some technical difficulties there at the end. But stay tuned to next week where we will have another podcast and maybe a little bit lighter topic. Thanks for listening.